1: I was loved, but I wasn't seeing the love because I was so caught up in the story of being broken and not being enough that I wasn't loving myself for all of who I am. And I was so scared of being found out of <laughs> having flaws yeah, and not being perfect, God forbid, that I suddenly, I had this breakthrough where it just, I started just being more and more open with being authentic.
0: Just the truth. So close your eyes and open your ears, and let's get into this. Come on. Good people. Welcome back. Another episode of the Truth Prescription Podcast. Thank you as always for listening. Today I have the honor of talking to Miss Kimberly Spencer. The title of this episode is The Truth About Our Plagiarized Program. Miss Spencer has done a lot of things similar to me. She's made films, she's an entrepreneur, she's a coach. She's a podcaster and there's a lot of synergy there. Her truth was that she realized that she was a people pleaser and that she was in fact loved for so long. She didn't feel like she was loved or had the support of others and the importance of self-love. So that was her truth that she was not aware of. She didn't ignore it, but she wasn't aware of it. Topics that we touched on. Number one, what is plagiarized programming? Number two, how acting or acting school or, or improv school helps to heal and how it's connected to personal development. Uh, number three, how we can turn feelings into a choice, right? Just because you have a feeling, there is a choice there. And we talk about how to do that. Number four, being a victim versus having a victim mindset and what those two are and why it's important. Number five, the importance of intentionality. We kind of touched on that throughout the talk. And uh, number six, what is just world bias and uh, how it's important, particularly in high performers that are trying to heal. So I hope you guys enjoyed the episode, had a lot of fun. Close your eyes and open your ears and let's do it. Good people. Welcome back to another episode of the Truth Prescription Podcast. I'm your humble host, Dr. Sekou Gathers. And today I am talking to Mrs. Kimberly Spencer. How are you, Kimberly?
1: I'm doing extraordinary. How are you?
0: I'm fantastic. I feel uh, full of glitter. I know you love glitter, so I feel very glittery today. Yeah, (laughs) I feel very glittery today. I wanted to have Kimberly on for several reasons. First of all, there's a lot of synergy that I didn't previously... uh, Initially, I knew a little bit, but as I started reading more and learning more, I realized that... So these are the things we have in common. Filmmaker, actor, writer, check... Right. You did the film Bro with, with, I think, Daniel Trejo. Both entrepreneurs. You own the fitness studio. I've owned a couple of different businesses. You are a coach. You've been coaching for some time. I've been also coaching for some time, but full time now. And the last last three months I've been coaching full time. So I'm happy about that. (laughs) <laughs> You're also a podcaster, right? Mm-hmm. Princess in the Bee just celebrated your hundredth episode. Congratulations. Yes. <laughs> awesomeness, oh my gosh. Awesomeness. <laughs> awesomeness. <laughs> awesomeness. My show is uh we're in our fourth year, so I'm happy about that. And then also on the other side, a previous self sabotager, which I was, and and I know you speak about that. And then on the on the light side, someone who's also discovered how to harness the power within and now guides others. So there's a, a whole line of things that I said, you know, this this is a, a great, this is going to be a great match, the two of us.
1: I am so excited. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you for having me, Seku. Absolutely.
0: Thank you for coming on the show. So listen, let's jump right in into truth prescription. As as my listeners, old listeners know, um, this show is about dealing with truth. I feel and know through experience that the truth is really the only medication that's going to help us to deal with a lot of our ills. And when we accept the truth, we have breakthroughs and we ignore the truth, we're stuck. So tell the audience, Kimberly, about maybe a time in your life, in your professional per- or your personal life where there was a truth you were either ignoring or weren't aware of. And uh, once you accepted it, really accepted it, you had a breakthrough.
1: There were so many. There were so <laughs> many. I mean, for me, the first, the the biggest one that I had was in the belief that I was broken mm. and that I was damaged and that I was a victim. I grew up with two amazing parents, but my dad was an addict. So I like to say I had four dads because I had the really cool sober dad, who was really awesome. A burgeoning entrepreneur, like the fact that my dad was able to grow a multimillion dollar business while being an addict is pretty much a testimony to his hustle. But at the same time, I had the alcoholic dad who was an asshole. Mm. And I had the pot smoking dad, I didn't really mind him that much, he was kind of just pretty Chill. lazy. <laughs> <laughs> and then I had the manic painkiller popping dad. Yeah. And so I never knew which dad was coming home. And it taught me at a very early age, sensory acuity, which I now am able to take into coaching because I'm able to read people very quickly when I need to make adjustments to my own behavior to see like, how do I adjust to whomever I I am dealing with? So it made me very good at being a chameleon in many ways, where I could pretend to be okay with something that I really wasn't okay with. I could kind of like hide in this mask of like people pleasing to like dance around what behavior it was that I was receiving from my father. And also the behavior that I was receiving from my mom who would essentially ignore it, ignore the thing going on. And meanwhile, I think, I think we're blessed with the children that will enlighten us, will make us realize things that we need to re-remember from before we were conditioned with all this plagiarized programming because I have always been such like one of the greatest things that makes me the the most angry is Mm. hypocrisy yeah and so I would see hypocrisy and it would be so blatant that it would make me angry but I was taught Not to feel that (laughs) I was taught not to feel rage not to feel anger and not to feel righteous anger And that Mm -hmm. I shouldn't feel justified in my anger and I was shamed for being angry I was shamed for having big emotions and I was you know known as the emotional one And I've got all these labels put on me. So I had this perception That emotions were bad. Mm -hmm. And so I learned how to fake it in every scenario in friendships in romantic relationships and even faking it with trying to pretend that I was okay when I wasn't okay. Mm-hmm. And so what that sent me down was a a road of a 10-year battle with bulimia to where I was basically which you know if you think of what bulimia is you're shoving all those emotions down mm-hmm. and then you're spewing them back up. Right. And so that's exactly what I would do because when I would when I would vomit I would actually feel a momentary release and that peace that I was searching for and it wasn't until I was about 15 or 16 and I'd been doing this for a few years and I knew a it wasn't working because I was still just did I didn't like the way it looked so I was like I'm obviously something I'm doing is is not working and b I didn't like who I I didn't like the faking it I really got tired of faking it it was so exhausting of pretending yeah Yeah, that was when I carried around such massive imposter syndrome that I would achieve things and strive for great things. And then when I wouldn't hit these near impossible markers in trying to achieve in things that I didn't even want to achieve it, like I didn't need to get straight A's in science. (laughs) (laughs) But I I certainly was striving to achieve that. And so when I would go through these scenarios of faking it, It just, it kind of tore at my core. And I think we all have that deep truth inside of us where we know when we're bullshitting, when we know, we know in our soul that like we're doing something that go is going against who we actually are and is not real. And it wasn't until I was about 16 and I told my parents, I said, I think I may have a problem. I said, I was bulimic. I said, I throw out my food. I didn't tell them how often I did it, but I I said, you know, I sometimes do this. And my dad didn't really respond in a big way. He was like, oh yeah, I've done that sometimes. And I'm like, okay, well, you're an addict. So that's kind of something (laughs) about me. And then my mom was a little more nervous. And so one day after she had found out about that, like we had dinner at the the kitchen table, which is very rare for my family. Like normally we just (laughs) kind of like ate and grabbed and go and I would like eat in my room and My dad would eat in front, in the front of the TV. And it was just, it was just like, we never had like sit down meal time. That was never a thing for us. Mm. But this one time I remember because we actually were having dinner at the dinner table. And I think it was my mom's attempt to like watch me eat to make sure I was okay. (laughs) And I went upstairs to go do my homework. And that wasn't completely untrue. That's what exactly what I was going to do. But I had a pit stop along the way. When I was going to my pit stop. I knew I had to be extra quiet, like creeping across the hallway, which was very like when it was not a well insulated upstairs. So you could hear everywhere you stomped from downstairs. And so I would, I tried to like sneak across the hallway. And as I opened the door to the bathroom, I suddenly hear this like pounding footsteps coming up the stairs and it's my mom. And she's barreling at me like a buffalo, like just charging at me. And she like, and it just spewed into this massive fight. It was like all of the rage, all of the pain, all of the emotions that I had stuffed down were just coming at it. And I became like wild, like an animal. And eventually my mom got to the point where she pinned me down the floor. And she said, she was screaming at me. I'm not going to let you kill yourself, Kim. I love you too much. I'm not going to let you kill yourself. It was in that moment that I realized that what I was doing was a slow form of suicide. I recognized that I wanted to live and that I also had people that were cheering me on. Like my parents did love me. They just had some really crappy ways of showing me sometimes. <laughs> and so I saw in that moment that that was, that was where I started to look for new answers. And I started to look for new truths of like, Why am I doing this? Like I started to question the behavior that I was exhibiting. I started to question why I was doing it. I was trying to I started out by questioning the habits. Like maybe if I just like pared down what I was eating to like just being vegan. So I just I I became vegan and I said, okay, maybe if I just work on this external thing, like the doings of like diet and actually like being healthier, maybe that'll help. And so I got very vehement about being a vegan for six years. And it was helpful Mm -hmm. because it was the first time in my dieting history that I never relied on anybody else or any other person to kind of back me up in my choices. And it was like, I decided I was going to be a vegan and that was what I was. And that's like, there was no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And I was very regimented about it. And is that the best way to go about it? Not necessarily, but That was how I dealt with it at that time. And it it actually did serve me to where I started to eat healthier. I started to eat more nutrient dense foods. But the only thing I craved, to be honest, was a really juicy steak for six years.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. (laughs) So
1: So after six years, I, I caved, I gave up gluten and I was like, okay, I can't be gluten free and vegan. I mean, I could, but I just really didn't want to eliminate that many foods from my diet. And I was like, I'm really craving a burger. And so I drove through In-N-Out and I got myself an In-N-Out protein burger. And for the first time in six years, because I by being vegan, I had become anemic because I had, was super low on iron and after, and I had such low energy at like year five, year six around being vegan. And then I went drove through In-N-Out and I got that protein burger. And I remember the moment that I was driving, because I was driving to teach Pilates and I, for the first time, had this surge of energy. Like my blood actually was like, "Thank you for feeding me protein. <laughs> so, <laughs> thank you for the red meat." Right. And it was um, a couple years later that I found Dr. Peter Diamos' "Eat Right for Your Blood Type." And yeah. It was exactly yep. how I eat.
0: Yep. Are so you I was a like, are you a type? Your typo. O, Typo. Type yeah, that's that's yeah. type typo. Yep. My wife's typo. So I know that diet well. No gluten, but yeah, red red meats. You got to be careful, obviously, because it's linked to cancer. But I like I like his diet a lot.
1: (laughs) A lot of things are linked to cancer.
0: Well, colon cancer specifically for for red meat. They've they've studied it, you know, ad nauseum. Anyway, so the, the truth that you realized that you were ignoring was that you were in fact loved. That's what it sounds like, that you did have support.
1: That I was loved. And I also needed to love myself. Yeah. Yeah. Quite frankly. That was the big truth, is that I I was loved, but I wasn't seeing the love because I was so caught up in the story of being broken and not being enough that I wasn't loving myself for all of who I am. And I was so scared of being found out of having flaws. <laughs> yeah. And not being perfect, God forbid. God forbid. That that, God forbid, right? <laughs> that I suddenly I had this, I had this breakthrough where it just I started just being more and more open with being authentic. And that's what actually led me into teaching Pilates and what, what made me successful actually when I first started teaching Pilates was because I came at it from a place of authenticity and it actually attracted more clients to me because I wasn't always into fitness and I wasn't always into health and personal development. Like I was a hot mess.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's, it's interesting. You know, you mentioned While you were talking, you kind of glossed over it, but for people that were listening, they might've been, you know, had a question about what is, what is a plagiarized program? And so talk a little bit about plagiarized programming.
1: So plagiarized programming, I I came up with this term because A, as a writer, you don't want to plagiarize somebody else's work, but plagiarism is basically, it's like you're taking somebody else's work and you're adopting it as your own and you're not giving credit where credit is due. And so you're, you're basically stealing. Well, we're stealing people's beliefs all the time. And sometimes this, this plagiarism doesn't work for us. It's not our style. It's not how we show up authentically. It's who we were told we should be or how we should operate or what we're supposed to do or what's normal or what society will accept or whatever condition it's conditioning. And so it's this programming that we've adopted and we've accepted. It's true without questioning who's actually doing the programming without questioning where we got the content from. And so in essence, it's plagiarized beliefs. It's beliefs that we hold that were not essentially ours, but we're conditioned to believe. Like I see it now with with my toddler, who is the most loving, beautiful, just
0: empathetic She's I've just so scrumptious. scrumptious. She's yes, just, I've seen. Oh, it's so beautiful. You want to see it? Go on, and, a, go on her website. She got a couple of pictures of a Beautiful.
1: Oh yeah, and he just—he's just getting cuter. Yeah. And if you, if you follow me on Instagram, yes. he, he yes. is uh, <laughs> he's, hes all over there. But he's—he has this beautiful spirit of empathy, and I've known that since he was in utero. Like I could feel when I'd be on the phone with a client, and he'd be like kicking me when my client was having a breakthrough or if somebody was starting to cry within my proximity I would he'd would start kicking and he's so empathetic and so in tune and I see that like if I were another parent that if or if I were even myself you know 10 years ago but without having all the knowledge and the training and the skills and the doing having done the 10 decade long work. worth of work yeah. that I've done I would be trying to shut that off just like how I was taught was oh no we got it's, that's not logical. It's not it's not logical to run up and hug everybody during a pandemic. That would be illogical. But he like, since we're on the Gold Coast, it's it's okay. But he's he just loves running up and giving hugs and he like runs to everyone and just wants to give them hugs and just has so much love and compassion. And so a plagiarized programming that I could have adopted would be like, oh no, that's not manly. That's not a boy thing to do. And you should not be that feeling. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That's how he is. If I can leave that compassion and empathy, like untethered and untainted, I will have done my job for humanity as far as he's concerned.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. You know, I see it with children, especially they grow up in a family and then right when they pass the stage, when you're, where your son is at, you notice they start to walk like their parents and they start to use phrases like their parents and even adopts, you know, little behaviors like their parents. That's part of the plagiarism as well. I had a, a, an interesting breakthrough uh, three or four years ago where I was talking to my dad about something and I started to just know, as we were having a conversation, I just started to notice some of his mannerisms and even inflection. And I was like, I do that. Like I'm basically I'm copying him. That's not even really me. And so it's so interesting what you're saying, because it's not just with the mental program, but it's even just in the way we carry ourselves and move and walk and it it gets even deeper, the diet. And you're right. If you grew up in a household that, that eats spinach and cheese, then you're probably going to grow up eating spinach and cheese. And so it takes time and work and the will to say, hmm, wait a minute. Do I actually, you talked about it earlier, in my soul, like spinach and cheese? The answer might be no. Yeah. <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah. This, I mean, and this is why 80 to 90% of people vote the same way as their parents. 80 to 90% of people are in the same economic bracket as their parents because they don't question those beliefs, that programming, that system that they were raised in to say, hey, is this actually true? Is this ultimately true? And if not, who's it not true for that maybe I could go model them? Who is living in a way that I would like to live? who reminds me of me in some way, but is at another level. Maybe they have more fulfillment. Maybe they are making more money. Maybe they have a a really tight toned body. Maybe they are in an amazing relationship. I mean, that was the blessing that teaching Pilates allowed me to do. I was teaching 10 hours a day and I was being exposed to 10 different, at least 10 different people in a one-on-one setting every single day, learning about how different people live and survive and what they believe and what and it was allowed me to open up my eyes to see different types of plagiarized programming so some things that like one of the the greatest lessons that I saw early on was I had two clients one who was a stay-at-home mom she had was fully supported by her ex-husband her two kids were in high school they had their own cars and she constantly complained she'd come to me at like Tuesdays at 10 o'clock for 10 a.m. for her lessons. she would complain about how tired she was, about how she never got enough rest, about how busy she was because she was so busy. And I was like, what are you doing? Like, Mm -hmm. what? Like, just curious. Like, what are you doing? Meanwhile, at the same time, I had another client. She would come to me at nine o'clock at night. She was pregnant with her third child. She was the partner in one of the biggest law firms worldwide. And she never complained about how busy she was. She just would come in. She'd do the work. She would you know, share her story. And I asked her, I said, have you always been this way? And it actually turned out that her story very much mirrored mine. And I was in like that where I said, oh my gosh. So there's, there is a success that can happen. You can have three children after having certain experiences growing up. Like you can have, you can change your life and, and do good in the world and serve people. Like, and, and that, it opened my eyes, but it was because I was exposing myself to people that I normally wouldn't have been exposed to, to people that were outside of my sphere of, of friendships or influence or like, and it was, that was the thing that really helped to transform me because I saw how marriage was with my parents in a very codependent marriage. And I had one client who I saw and I, I remember in my gut saying, I really love her marriage, mm-hmm. whatever she's got going on that she's doing. I, I, and so I would ask her questions in our session of like, how did you meet your husband? How did you know? Like, I, I would just start asking her these questions about how their relationship worked. And it it was inspiring to me to see another possibility because our brains, like the plagiarized programming, we, it's a lot of times it's completely unconsciously adopted because from zero to six is the imprint period in our life. And so we're accepting all of this programming unconsciously and it's only because we're looking at how do we survive in this world like we're an innocent baby that's like how do we survive right and so when we see behavior even if it's not healthy behavior per se even if it's not you know really amazing behavior even it, it still is behavior where we still see species humans our parents who are still surviving in that mentality sure so yeah for the first three major relationships I was in, I repeated codependent behaviors. I repeated finding addicts and just really making really poor choices in relationships. (laughs) (laughs) Ditto, ditto. But at the same time, I'm so grateful for that experience because I questioned it every time after it ended where I was like, whoa, what, what happened here? Like what happened? And it allowed me to see how I was conforming myself to fit whatever this person's model of who they th- who I thought they would love most. But I would hold back parts of myself, like the silly side or the weird side or the ambitious side, things that would make the, uh, the person who I was in a relationship with very uncomfortable. I would hold those parts back. And I just got really tired of doing that. And I remember two hours before I met my husband, I was just like, I was praying on this drive to this networking event. I was like, oh, sweet Jesus. Like, I just want to be, <laughs> I said, all I want is to be authentic. I just want to be authentic. Mm. And I want to travel. Like, yeah. I want, yeah. Those two things. I yeah. said, That's all I want. And then two hours later, I met my now forever husband. And we're now currently living in the Gold Coast of Australia and or have been traveled more and have, i mean he accepts all parts of me the weird the silly the ambitious the loving the compassionate the mom the wife like he loves all of it and it's because we made a pact early on that it was just a hundred percent authenticity and candor in our relationship
0: yeah which i didn't have
1: in past relationships
0: yeah no that's super important similar story i i remember the night i met my my wife i was married before i got divorced and was single for a couple of years, dating for a couple of years. And the night I met my wife, I said to myself, you know what? I'm not going to drink tonight. And it was just one of those things for whatever reason that, you know, my, my own, I had, I had some coaching at the time. My own coach was saying, you know, you really need to get out more, cut out the alcohol, just kind of be yourself. Kind of like what you're saying, right? Just eliminate all the, you know, the, the handcuffs, the emotional handcuffs, crutches, the emotional crutches. I didn't drink and, you know, just felt just natural. And, um, yeah, totally met her. That was 2011, and now we have two kids, and you know we're 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 happy. And she's a, you know she's a great partner. But I think you're able to attract what's authentic to you when you yourself are authentic, right? That's what I, you know, talk with my uh, my clients about. I deal with. I'm a trauma expert, so I deal with a lot of people who've been through serious emotional traumas, physical and emotional traumas, and um, you know that that level of victimization carries a whole host of. For lack of a better term, I'll just call it baggage. It's not baggage, but a whole host of material that needs to get worked through and um mm-hmm. one of the first steps is you know really trying to excavate and figure out what who who you really are like who who are you really at the core right not the the plagiarized self i like that i'm gonna i'm gonna use that for the title of this episode, not the plagiarized self but you know your your real self who who are we really and so that's when you can start getting towards healing. You know, one of the things about being the plagiarized self is being involved in something both you and I have, which is which is acting. I remember a big breakthrough for me several years, probably about six, seven years ago, was I, I spent a year in acting school because I felt like I wasn't I wasn't my true self, which is interesting because people are like, you're going to go to acting school to be your real self? Yes, because as you know, when you're performing, there's something about you have to be super authentic when you're in front of that camera or on the stage if you're not super authentic with your performance the audience is going to know they're going to be like that's bad acting what is bad acting bad acting is basically somebody trying to act instead of just being the character
1: it's faking it
0: right exactly um what what do we used to call it um i forget the term that my teacher used to use but anyway do you feel that you got any benefit you know, on your healing path or your healing role to acting? Because sometimes I do recommend that to clients to take an improv class or, you know, do something just to kind of mix it up a little bit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. My acting, the two first coaches that I ever had that made an impact on me were one, my singing coach, where I was able to find my voice again. She was, okay. she was the one where what all throughout bulimia, I was able to express through song, the pain that I was feeling that, Was deemed that I had deemed inappropriate. The emotions that I deemed were inappropriate to feel sadness, guilt, shame, anger, all the negative emotions, because I had to be like Miss Positive Perfect all the time. Those negative emotions, I was able to express those through songs. So that was my first coaching experience. It was so powerful for me just opening up my throat to be able to feel Mm, that that voice come through. The second coach was my acting coach, Robert Carnegie at Playhouse West. And he I remember because when I first, I actually dropped out of college two weeks before I was supposed to start because of that acting class. Wow. Because I went to this class and it was actually found because my dad, he was a client of my dad's and my dad was like, hey, Kim, and I was at at a singing camp at the time. And my dad was like, hey, Kim, I found this amazing acting teacher. He's taught like Ashley Judd, James Franco, Sean Astin, like you need to come. He said, he'll let you audit the class. He normally doesn't let kids who are, you know, under 18 do it, but he'll let you audit his class. I said, okay, I'll do it. And so I left this camp that I was at to come to this acting class. And I sat in this acting class and for two hours, I was spellbound. (laughs) I saw people feeling, like truly feeling. And I learned the definition of acting, which is living truthfully under imaginary circumstances. Right, right. Which is also the key to manifestation. Right. Being that version. Now, acting for me, it took me three, four years of classes to be able to really unlock and allow myself to fully feel and be vulnerable and be okay with feeling vulnerable and exposed when that was like the last thing I wanted to feel on exactly. the planet was exactly. vulnerable and exposed. Expose. Exactly. That's the so it, it that was the healing process. Right. And also the benefit was was my acting teacher was the first person to turn me on to personal development. Because when he accepted me into the class, he gave me this like little binder of books that I needed to read. And he said, you know, this is the recommended reading list. And of course, as a straight A student, I was going to read all of the books.
0: <laughs> and I
1: got, I, I but in, I remember in the, in the first page, there was this big box that said, this is the most important book you'll ever read. And I was like, okay. So I was at Borders or Barnes and Noble or something. And I was looking for this book and I couldn't find it anywhere. It wasn't in Hollywood. It wasn't in like the acting section and it was in the self-help section. I was like, well, this is weird. <laughs> but so I said, so I, I pulled it out and I flipped through it because I was like, okay, this is apparently the most important book I'll ever read. And I flipped through it and it, I landed on this page and I don't remember the exact phrasing of it, but it was like, you are in control of your state. And I was like, what? Like from being someone who is always so highly, who I I was conditioned to be reactive to everyone. Me being in control of my state and having control of my emotions, and I put that in quotations because I like to think of it less of as control now as more of a choice. As like you're like you feel your feelings, and it's scientifically measured that you feel a feeling for like 90 seconds. What happens is though, is when you don't allow yourself to fully feel a feeling, then it becomes an emotion and it also becomes a choice and it becomes a choice that you can hold on to and that you then dwell on. And then it goes into that inner critic and that rabbit hole and you start to spiral down that like, oh, I shouldn't be feeling this or, oh, I'm not supposed to be feeling this. And then what happens is, is then you start stacking on all these other negative emotions onto this initial thing that's just a human response sure so you we were allowed to feel our feelings and so that that was like suddenly blowed off the the lid off of this paradigm that i'd been living under of constant being in a state of constant reactivity so i l- listened to that book i listened to i got the audio version i got the workbook Wait, i, got, so what's, the, I got, what's the name
0: of the book tell the listeners
1: the 7 habits of highly effective people
0: yeah Okay. Yeah. Stephen Covey. Covey. Yep. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And
1: so, and so I started reading that and it was, it was the first book that I, my first personal development book, and that changed the game for how I started to see and experience the world. And it shifted my transformation so that I was able to start taking ownership because when you're not on
0: the throne of ownership, somebody else is, Somebody else's, uh, yeah. Phone.
1: Somebody, fear is right. And you're blaming everybody else for right. where you're at, and that's exactly what I was doing. Is I'd always blamed my dad for all of my life experiences and all of my failures, and for being bulimic. And it took a, me a hot second for me to be like, "Whoa, he was never sticking my finger down my throat. That was me. Like that was my choice for ten years to do that. Okay, now if I made that choice, then I can also make a different choice." Because the thing about blame is that when you're blaming somebody else for your stuff, and this goes for every type of thing that you could have been a victim of. Like, and I've been a victim of many things. So the, a victim mindset is very different than being a victim. A victim is saying that something it is not denying that something happened to you. Something happened, something that was wrong, something that is unjust happened to you. But how long are you holding on to that? And there were years, decades that I held on to things that were wronged against me by people that allowed me to taking ownership, allowed me to say, well, OK, what if this happened for me instead of to me? And what what shifted that for me was now be, being able to do the work that I do. I have been able to serve clients through leaving traumatic relationships, big divorces, you know, being in relationships with narcissists, sexual abuse. I've been able to help coach them now and not as a therapist, but as a coach for like, where do they want to go? What new choices do they want to be making for the life that they want to create and for who they want to become? And that's where the power is, is where you make those new choices. So where that event, that thing that happened to you, that's not your fault You are able to take ownership in some way, not of the thing that happened, but of how you are responding afterward. And I've seen this because there's, um, have you heard of the just world bias? It's a really good one. It's one that I've been diving into with high achievers, specifically because when they've had an experience that happened to them where they're a victim, where they're like, not it's not their fault that it happened. Like somebody, they got raped or they got robbed or something that happened and it was traumatic. Well, what happens is, especially with high achievers, they're different than the normal crowd. Like a lot of people will tend to blame the person who did that to them, but high achievers, they tend to blame themselves. And so what the just world bias, how we've seen it in our world is when, you know, somebody, we hear a story on uh, on the news of somebody getting raped and suddenly it's, there's a commentary of other people on the social platforms of like, well, she, she must've been asking for it or she must've... Uh, deserved it, or it must've been her skirt length or whatever, like some bullshit excuse like that. But really it comes down to the fact that our brains cannot make sense of something that is nonsensical. So an act that's so unjust, our brains are constantly, our subconscious minds are like toddlers. So they're always wanting to have something that's fair. And so when we see something that happens, that's not fair, that's totally unjust, that's wrong, Our brains are still trying to logically like make sense of that and make it so that it is something that's fair. And so we put these other, these ridiculous things out and say these ridiculous things. But what happens with high achievers is because they're taking the blame on themselves, it really messes with their belief of what they deserve. Yeah. Because their brains are trying to make sense of like, oh, well, if this happened and then if this is my fault, if I have to take ownership for this, then it must be my fault and I must have deserved it. And that's what messes up a lot of high achievers in my experience. And I can speak personally as well.
0: Yes. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, I see that. I, I, I never heard it put that way in just war bias, but I do see it in clients. And um, yeah, that's part of the work. You know, that's part of the work. One thing you said before we jump into yes or BS that I wanted to um, to highlight, you talk about, you know, wearing your crown or crowning yourself. But if if you never take responsibility, you can never crown yourself. And that's the other important part of taking ownership of, of everything in your life it's so that you can crown yourself as, poem goes, master of, you know, your life, uh, master, I forget this, Invictus, but master of your soul. Basically, you're in control. If and yes. so you can't be in, not in control and be a, be the king at the same time because the king takes full king and or queen takes full responsibility for everything that happens.
1: And full responsibility is different than than being at fault or being blaming yourself. And that's that's where the pendulum. Because I think of ownership like a pendulum. So on one side you have um you have swinging it toward it's everybody else's fault.
0: You know, it's, everybody did this
1: to me. Right, right. It's all that. But on the other side you have. A lot of high achievers where they're taking the fault on themselves. So they're basically making themselves the villain and the hero, trying to fight themselves and they beat themselves up.
0: Right. There's already save- enough going yeah, on in the crazy. world. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. They're trying so to save themselves them- from, yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so how do you swing <laughs> that pendulum back to the middle right. so that, yes, you take ownership for what happened? Yes, you can change it. And you can move forward without it actually being your fault. Yes, you can take ownership, and it's not your fault. And that's the paradox of how do you, how do you justify that paradox, and how do you live and do the dance of life inside of that paradox?
0: You want to be able to take ownership, and then also be the caregiver at the same time. And so that's the that's the nuance that people often don't realize. that just because something. Happened to you and you accept that it happened that you somehow are okay with it. And that's, that's yeah. not the case. So, okay. Let's jump into yes or BS. All uh, right. <laughs> number one, anybody can be a king or a queen.
1: Absolutely. Okay.
0: Yes. All right. Yes. Number two, you talk a lot about conscious choices. So that's why I put this one in here. Conscious choices should be made once a day
1: yes i'm not a fan of should i'm just not a fan of the word should okay like i i just because that like yes conscious choices should be made once a day i mean ideally you're making them more
0: (laughs) that's that's the point that's the point so at least (laughs) once
1: a day yes make a conscious choice and like but really conscious choices are a moment to moment basis. Like it's a conscious choice for me to be present with you on this podcast. Like it's a conscious choice for me to be present with my child when we're going out to the park so that I'm not scrolling through my phone. It's a conscious choice for me to be invested. Like those are all conscious choices and they stack up for the relationships that you're creating and everything in life is a relationship. We're relating to everything. So it's a conscious choice to relate to your body better and take care of it by going to the gym eventually it does become an unconscious choice because it just becomes who you
0: are yes and that's the point that's the point but if you you're working on changing something yes
1: if you're working on changing something it is a conscious choice you will have to, you will have to go through that learning curve yes. of allowing for the mistakes of allowing for that space to make that conscious choice and sometimes that's the most uncomfortable place to be because normally the conscious choice in the first stages of learning will be made after you've made the mistake, and you're like, oh, crap. now I have to make it. Now I'm going to make a conscious choice to not do that again, to do it differently, to change it, to change it up. But then eventually you get to the next stage of learning where you're making the conscious choice before you make the mistake and then you, it just becomes who you are.
0: Right. And I think also, additionally, the point, the importance of conscious choices is that similar to crowning yourself minute by minute, day by day, you're in control of what's going on versus just kind of being swept along a tide. And I think um, when when you're in the first and second stages of trying to change something in your life, you really need to be clear about what you're doing, why you're doing it, when you're doing it, etc. Number three, coaching is not for everyone yes
1: because it depends on where you're at in your journey i think you're always getting coaching i think the universe is kind of always coaching you to lead because coaching is just like you're so you're going to be led sometimes you're being led like uh like a ping pong like not a ping pong machine but like a uh arcade game what's that what's that arcade game
0: pong the one where you No, it's
1: where you like you have the you're pushing those buttons on the side and the ball goes bouncing Back and forth Oh yes, yeah.
0: so so doing right.
1: Yeah, so sometimes it's like that where it's like you're, you're bouncing along. Now I think do I think that eventually coaching is for everyone? Yes. Do I think that coaching is for everyone for where they're at right now and that they always need a coach? No, I don't think you always need a coach at every single moment of your life. That's why I never I liked or identified with the term life coach because I'm like, I love you. I do not want to be (laughs) holding your hand for the rest of your life. Like I want you to, I I want to empower you to beyond me so that you're able to recognize these things on your own so that you have the awareness. And then, you know, maybe when you've leveled up and kind of gotten to that next level of a plateau, then we come back and work together. But I don't think you need to always be having a coach. Just like, I don't think you always need to be having a therapist all the time to like handhold you through everything. Sometimes therapy or coaching or personal development or studying, that can also be a crutch if you allow it to be that crutch. If, if it's becoming something that you have to do rather than going back to that trust and that faith that's inside of you and lis- learning to listen to that inner voice and that
0: inner truth. Yeah, well said, well said. And the last one, number four. I just wanted to get your take on this action takes place in the present always yes (laughs) yes (laughs)
1: there's there's like there's no past action and there's no future action like the only place that you can change is now like that's the only place yeah so that's a hundred percent yes because so many people are living by the, the when especially with procrastinators they're living in the future of like what could go wrong and you know People who are living in more of a victim mindset, they're living in the past of like things that have gone wrong. But action and ownership, it takes place in the present moment of constantly having that check in with yourself, with your own truth of saying, is this the next aligned thing for me? Is this the thing I I need to be doing? Not that somebody else said I need to be doing, but something that I need to be doing at this moment right now for me. And constantly having that check in so that you're taking that aligned action. Because action, I mean, I tell, I've told the story to my husband because I had this awareness where I was like, when I first started my business for Crown Yourself, I have spent a year and a half as a dabbler. Like I was on my computer though all the time. And I have no idea what I was doing in hindsight. (laughs) I was on it all the time. My business wasn't making any money, but I was constantly working. Like the joke was that, with my husband that I couldn't even watch like Netflix. As soon as I put my dinner down, like it would be laptop open and I would not stop. Now I'm like, my computer goes away. Like I'm on my computer so much less, but when I'm on it, I'm intentional about it because it's, it's about the intentionality of like, what is it that you're doing? How often are you operating in your genius zone? And that is where the action truly is. It's not in this dabbling sort of Like, oh, these are the things I should be doing to build a business, like, you know, designing a logo or like creating fancy quotes or things like, that's not necessarily true. That's not necessarily true. And what, what has to happen is, is you really just sitting down and checking yourself before you wreck yourself (laughs) and put put yourself into like a year and a half, like I did Worth of procrastinating on actually doing the thing that moves your business forward. I mean, for me, that was actually putting myself out there and making sales because I was so scared of selling.
0: Making the offer, you got to make the offer.
1: You got to make the offer, and I say that it's it's just like making a baby. Like there's one process to make a baby. Sperm has to has to meet meat egg in some way. That's
0: it. Like, That's it. The
1: same is true for your business is cash has, has to meet your products and services in some way. That is the only process that makes a business.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You gotta have, you gotta have some income. And that <laughs> process
1: can only take place in the present moment.
0: I, I had same thing. The way I describe it is I, I start now, I do it almost like uh pass the salt. I call it the pass the salt technique because I, I make my offer. like, I'm passing the salt. Hey, just passing the salt. Like it takes it just takes all the pressure off of it and it just makes it flow and it's easy. But you're you're right. It takes a while to get to that point where you're like, all right, listen, this is this is what I can provide. This is what I can do. Here it is. Are you with it? This gets you a, a definitive yes or definitive no. And if you're with mm-hmm. it, fantastic. If you're not with it, fantastic also, because that means yeah. that's opening up space for someone else to come, you know, come work with me. Yeah. So and that's opening up <laughs> space for them
1: too. Instead of it yeah. being this vacillating right yes of like delaying on making yeah. another decision which yeah. is probably the problem in the first, in the first place. place yeah it's an energy <laughs> drain it's a,
0: it's a big energy drain yeah
1: yeah just saying you know that you let your yes mean yes and your no mean no and then if it's a no then say then declare it <laughs> and that's fine and <laughs> right. that is what it is
0: right exactly all right Kimberly that was uh, that's all I've got that was great tell the people how they can reach out and if they want to Talk to you about I, I, I noticed you in your bio, you're saying you, you mostly coach women, but you do coach a handful of men. Just talk to the folks about how they can get in contact with you and what's the best way to reach you.
1: Yeah, you can go to my website, crownyourself.com. And if you loved the wisdom bombs and truth prescriptions that I drop, then right. I'd love to, to chat with you. We can do that either in a 22 minute call, which you can book on my website, or you can do it in a full mind blowing 90 minute consult with me. And I would love to hear what you think about this podcast on the DMs on Instagram. So you can follow me at Kimberly.Spencer. And if you like cheeky quotes, you can follow my company at Crown Yourself Now so that you can get that daily dose of inspiration and education and kicks in the pants when necessary. That's
0: right. That's right. Loving kicks. Loving kicks.
1: Loving kicks. (laughs) With a well-heeled stiletto.
0: That's right. That's right. (laughs) The stiletto was dipped in, you know, some some magic fairy dust, and just give you that extra yeah, push, you know, absolutely. that you need. Absolutely, that's right. You that's gotta right. have
1: sparkle with the kick.
0: That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kimberly, thank you so much. I am Doctor Sekou Gathers. I will sign off as I always do. The truth will set you free if you let it. Ooh.